0: Out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Behind! Woo! Wilde wow, is silence it a little bit. Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Dumped up. It. Pop pass up in the middle. has got, got it, Ruby run. 15, 10, hit, hit in! Schrader's touchdown! The Bills make me wanna shout! Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. It's oh, to the end zone! Stephon Diggs makes a catch! Touchdown, Buffalo!
1: Swing into this!
0: It is over!
1: on ESPN Radio Syracuse 97.7 100.1 FM 121440 AM ESPN Radio Utica Rome 96.5 FM 1310 1350 AM and you can watch all the fun on QSportsTalk.com why listen to what you can see with your own two eyes no I am not Brent Axe and I'm not even close Jordan Capozzi here Producer of Orange Nation, Brent, has some doggy dad duties. I don't know if I should have outed him for that, but Brent's going to be here soon. On the block, on demand. Hello, I'm here. I can't do on the air because Jordan did it so well. Why would I even come in and and do it twice here in the span of about 15 minutes here? Uh, Glad to be here. A little bit of a late start for Uncle Brent again, I know. It's, it's We act, actually, like, have a protocol we enact now when these things happen. Um, had to pick up Blaze at the vet. Little Blaze, your little Blaze. I had to pick him up at the vet, and timing just was what it was. So Uncle Brent had to be a little late to the show. But here we are, and we're ready to rock. Thank you to uh, Paulie and Steve and that terrific interview with the Notre Dame play-by-play voice, and thanks to Jordan and the boys. Matt, uh, did I see uh, the squeak? Wipe my eyes off. Wee, 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 wee. Was that the the legend Bryce Gelman I saw on my way in here, too? Hanging around uh, uh, on the outside there in the bullpen, getting things going. So thanks to uh, all those gentlemen uh, for pinch-hitting to start off the show. We got a lot more on this Football Friday to come, though, my friends. You heard Jordan maybe mention it a few minutes ago, but let's set the table for you once again. So... Our friend Emily Liker is going to join us at 5.05 to discuss uh, all matters of Syracuse football as there's a lot going on there. She actually had a chance to sit down and chat with Nick Monroe, really curious the whys and the hows and what he had to say uh, in, in kind of his exit interview and heading to Minnesota plus just all the players that have been, in some cases, in and out of the transfer portal. But the players that have gone out, the players coming in, another recruiting Day is on the way. When we talked to Mike McAllister earlier this week, uh, he basically said they're focusing on the the transfer portal over recruiting. So we're going to have Emily on. We're going to go through all that at five Oh five. My friend, Brian Drake will join us once again, because yet your fantasy leagues may be over, but DFS is still out there and there's some fantasy and betting implications of all the NFL playoff games. Coming up this weekend, I'll give you my pick six, maybe not the same pick six segment we always do, depending on timing here, but I will certainly give you my six picks for the NFL playoffs coming up this weekend. Drake's got some good stuff for you. I had that conversation a little earlier today in about 10 minutes, as he will join us through the rest of the season, hopefully until about a month from now in uh, Phoenix. We'll see how far the Buffalo Bills go because it's uh, win or go home. Scenarios here from here on out. Bills and Dolphins. Eric Wood is going to join us to discuss that. A former Buffalo Bill, now the color analyst on the Buffalo Bills Radio Network. We had Eric on earlier this week to kind of introduce that he would be coming in, pinch hitting for our friend John Murphy, who we continue to wish well. Uh, Murph is recovering uh, from a stroke, as we mentioned, and the Buffalo Bills put out a statement about that last week. There's been just so much going on with the Bills and, and throw that on the table, but, uh, Eric was willing to step in and pinch hit for Murph and join us and talk some Bills football. And look, everything is heavy on the Bills. The FBI, FBI, not the FBI. I wish to speak with the FBI. No, the FBI, 95% on the Buffalo Bills. Tua's out. Miami's got a number of key players out, including a running back who just shredded them apart. Uh, this season, it it's not looking good for Skylar Thompson and company to come to Orchard Park in that crazy environment and take down the Buffalo Bills. Weather is actually not going to be a factor in this game, so I want to talk to Eric about it. It's going to be like 30 degrees and sunny, perfect uh, tailgating weather in western New York, so it's not like Miami's uh, coming into some sort of blizzard situation or anything like that. And God knows Buffalo's had enough snow for like the next three winters this year. So we will get into that with Eric Wood, break down some Bills and Dolphins, some NFL playoffs. Emily, we mentioned, Brian coming up. See, we don't mess around on Football Friday, but certainly Syracuse and Notre Dame in mind here uh, with that matchup coming up tomorrow. We do not have a pregame show tomorrow because we've got some other things cooking for you here on ESPN Syracuse tomorrow. So I want to get some of the inside the numbers things and some of the things we do on pregame into the show today. It's an intriguing game from the sense of here you have Syracuse coming off of this much-needed, you know, meat-on-the-bone kind of win against Virginia Tech. They needed a quality win. They got a quality win. Notre Dame didn't think this would be the case, but this is how the cookie crumbles in the unpredictable ACC sometimes. Would not qualify as a quality win in the eyes of the tournament. Not that Syracuse can thumb their nose at anybody. But when they beat Notre Dame just over a month ago, Crazy to think about that. That was just over a month ago, but they slipped that early ACC game in there in early December. They go to South Bend. It's close all the way. Notre Dame shoots well from uh, the three-point range in the first half, and it kind of seemed like that typical cheat code to beat Syracuse, but they did not shoot well in the second half from long range. The Orange keep it close all the way. Notre Dame misses a shot at the end, and Syracuse gets out of South Bend. With at the time was a much-needed win. They had dropped some games in non-conference play you didn't expect, kind of got behind the eight ball a little bit in terms of what the resume was looking like. That felt bigger then. This tomorrow feels like a take-care-of-business type of game, right? Jim Beheim on his program last night on Facing the Irish one more time.
0: You know, they're, they'll be better. They, they didn't play great out there. We didn't play great either, but... Um, they'll play better here they're they're really capable of being a really good offensive team and you have to really play good defense against them or they can get going so uh, again their records mis- misleading. They get the same guys that win the NCAA tournament last year, so they're they're a good team, and we need to be prepared for that.
1: The interesting thing about Notre Dame is they are one of the more experienced teams on Syracuse's schedule. And at the time, in early December, you had this young team kind of trying to figure out who they are. They know much more who they are at this point. JJ Starling didn't really stand out in that first game. Remember, he actually had to leave the first game. Came back in eventually with some sort of upper body injury of some sort. But he came back in. He played 28 minutes, but he only scored three points in that game. At this point, J.J.'s averaging th- just under 13 points per game. He's their second-leading scorer. Dane Goodwin coming off 19 points and 12 rebounds. Nate Lazuski made some free throws matter down the stretch. Notre Dame squeaks by Georgia Tech. 73 72 on Tuesday night. Since Notre Dame played Syracuse, they have lost. Uh, they're three and six, is basically their record. And they it just, even the wins have been close. As we mentioned, that Georgia Tech game, they lost to North Carolina by 20 before that. They lost to Boston College by seven. They lost to Miami, the top team in the league, if you go back to December 30th, by 10. So they've been busy certainly, in this steady stream of games here. But Jim mentioned it. This is a Notre Dame team that can still shoot well from three-point range, has some offensive weapons, has some experience, and now you're starting to get the second-time-around teams on the schedule. That one was close in South Bend. I don't think, you know, even with what appears to be Cole Hauser sitting courtside, who, of course, plays Rip on Yellowstone, and the fans will be very excited that he'll be there unless, you know, Adam Weitzman surprises us and it's a Kevin Costner type of situation. But it looks like it's going to be Cole Hauser sitting in the Spike Lee, Adam Weitzman courtside seats. Uh, that aside, I don't think the Dome is any sort of big-time home court advantage tomorrow. Students aren't quite back in town yeah It's not going to be one of those rip-roaring Dome games. You're uh, free to prove me wrong on that. What I'm saying is this is not just one of those, ah, you're playing them at home, you'll be good. Like, in South Bend, you got to give credit to Syracuse for winning on the road and winning at the time would appear to be a quality ACC win. And again, I'm talking about in terms of the NCAA Selection Committee. Any ACC win you can get is a quality win from the standpoint of this team building off of what they need to build off of, having won eight of their last 10. But Notre Dame's net ranking is not going to help you. So it is a take care of business if you win, slip on a banana peel and hurt your resume type of loss. Notre Dame can light it up though. If you don't do what you did against Virginia tech the other night, get out on shooters in the three point range, which they did much better in the second half against Notre Dame. Notre Dame shot three of 15 from three point range in the second half. They, I think they were eight of 18 in the first half of that game back in South bend in December. So an intriguing game in a lot of ways, you got Miami coming up on Monday. That means so much more in terms of net ranking and NCAA tournament resume and all those things but a game you cannot brush past in any way, shape, or form. So we'll continue to break that down as we go. All of our guests on the way. You are free to get in there. It's a great day to be on the Q Sports Talk chat because the phones probably won't be as open with all the guests we have coming up. QSportsTalk.com, though, you can chat throughout the show. Let's break. When we return, we'll get the football Friday festivities underway with our friend Eric Wood, the color analyst on the Buffalo Bills Radio Network. Don't go anywhere. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on Qsportstalk.com. <laughs> this is On the Block with Brent Axe. Yeah. There we go. This song came out the other day and just warmed my heart that my Now I get my my teenager, God bless so. Like, she listens to grunge. Like, she listens to the same music her dad listens to and likes and appreciates older music. So this wasn't, like, a huge surprise. But to see see your 16-year-old child, when this comes on, reach over to the volume knob and turn it up like, my job here is done. My job here is done. Welcome back. Glad to have you here. You're on the block, ESPN radio, QSportstalk.com. Uh, today's your last chance, friends, to go to Lights on the Lake. And all week long, we have been uh, giving back 100% of ticket sales for Lights on the Lake. Just five bucks per vehicle will be donated to local charities. And we've helped out terrific organizations like the Second Chance Canine Adoption Center, Alzheimer's Association, Central Square's Essentials for Success, and Families First. All proceeds from tonight's sales at Lights on the Lake will go to Sage Upstate, another terrific organization. You can help just by going to Lights on the Lake if you missed out this year. Last chance, lightsonthelake.com. Get your tickets, help out a great cause. Go again, get that last blast here. Felt like winter today. Cold day, snow on the ground, right? But maybe you've been missing out on the winter weather we have not been having here. You go through Lights on the Lake and it's like, come on, let's go. And you can help out a great cause. LightsOnTheLake.com, last chance, last chance, last chance to go to Lights on the Lake and for romance. LightsOnTheLake.com is where you get your tickets. Uh, Syracuse-Notre Dame coming up tomorrow. We were uh, discussing uh, some matters of that game and how every ACC opponent, every ACC game is important, but you have to factor in net rankings and where it matches in terms of the tournament and the Look, this is a low margin of error for Syracuse. You can't slip on too many banana peels. And Notre Dame, believe it or not, in the eyes of the net ranking and all that, would qualify as a banana peel. It's a good team that can shoot, offensive-minded team. I'm kind of wondering how J.J. Starling's going to factor into this game because he wasn't much of a factor in the first game, but now he's Notre Dame's second-leading scorer and could be one of those difference-makers. Syracuse has to defend the three-point line as well as they did against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's a different style team than Notre Dame. And when you look at – now, Notre Dame lives and dies by the three. They've got a lot of guards. Lazuski can get inside, certainly, but it's a different team than Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech just shredded Syracuse in the paint, going 13 of 20 inside the three-point line. And that interior defense was – you know, it was a little spotty. Let's be honest here. As much as we saw some great things from Malik Brown, we saw Jesse Edwards bouncing back here. Jim Beheim last night on how Jesse can get back. Well, he came
0: in probably about two oh five or ten, and he's two thirty. He just probably needs to get to two forty five or fifty. That would be that's doable. He has another year if he wants to play. Uh, you know, I think it would be good for him. I think would. Uh, get to that 245 area, and uh, I think he it would make a difference. I think he would finish better. He needs to keep getting stronger, keep improving his stamina. He gets a little tired. I think that those are all things he can improve. He's a very good player right now, but I think he could be even a better player uh, with another year.
1: That's Jim Boeheim on his show last night. Jesse is averaging 13 points per game at this point, but in the last five games – which have been all ACC games, of course, he's averaging 9.4 points per game. Here's something he told Donna Detoda after the Virginia Tech game, quote, I've never really been on a team where teams are doubling me like they are right now. It's been a learning experience, and it still is, but I'm starting to see where I can get at those opportunities for my other teammates. I think that's going to be a main focus going forward if teams keep doing this. See, the key thing there is, yeah, he saw more double teams, Team's trying to get him off his spot. Drops in a career-high six assists the other night. Oh, look, Jesse can pass now, right? That's got to be something he's got to keep an eye on. Don't try and, you know, muscle your way through double teams. If you get the ball down low and they collapse on you, someone's open. And now you have somebody, in Malik Brown, who, look, we'll see if he continues to play at this rate. He's still a freshman and can still make his mistakes, and have some off games here and there. But, see, that's what's been missing. When you don't have a Chris Bell or a Benny Williams consistently there as an outlet, and I'm just talking about short passes in the paint. doesn't even have to be a kick out to the three-point line or even on the wings or something like that. If Malik's right there, and if Malik's not getting that short pass, he's grabbing some rebounds. I mean, you look at that 11.12 rebound night he had the other night. I mean, he just lived by the basket, knows where to be around the basket, and it just – He's got like a magnet or something where the ball just comes to him. It's just incredible to watch how he's seemingly always in the right place at the right time. Talking about Malik Brown now. So now Jesse's got that help. But again, as I'll continue to say, Benny has a role on this team. And Benny, if he can figure out what that is, listen to his coaches, be where he needs to be, now you've got a few options in the paint, which will kind of dissipate what we saw the other night. Syracuse played as well as you can be in the ways they needed to. They didn't start slow. They they not only started better, they took control of the game and took real control of the game in the second half when they went on a 20-4 to 4 run. They played much better perimeter defense, right? Now, on Benny, here's what Jim said uh, on the Q Sports Talk chat last night about, you know, we hear a lot about practice Benny versus Benny in a game, and, of course, Benny was out the game prior to Virginia tech with a stomach bug against Virginia, slowly working his way back here. Practice. We hear he excels, but that just for whatever reasons, doesn't always carry into the game. Here's what Jim said about.
0: I mean, it's, it's not like he's great in practice. He's just better than he's been in the games. Um, I don't know. I think he worries a little bit. I think he lets that affect his play sometimes. Um, I think he depends too much on making a jump shot, and he's not a great shooter, so he's not always going to make jump shots Where He could always rebound, and he's just, he never did that. In high school, he was out on the perimeter. He was smaller in high school, and then he grew, but he was always on the perimeter. He never really was inside that much, and he's getting better there, but he he's just not used to being there, and, you know, we need him to be there.
1: Jim Bayheim on the Q Sports Talk chat last night. Remember, after his radio program, he hangs with you exclusively on QSportsTalk.com. Some good questions, some good answers from Jim in that chat. That's uh, that's kind of a hidden gem at this point. Hang around at about 8.30 on Thursday nights when Jim just hangs with you in the Q Sports Talk chat. You guys bring great questions that have resulted in some of the better sound bites we've had from Coach Beheim. period. And you can even watch Jim watching video of Paulie burn the My Buddy doll. You never know what's going to happen in that chat. So Notre Dame falls in the category of take care of business, keep the momentum going, and be as confident a team as you can going into Miami. Nobody's looking past Notre Dame. I don't want that to come across the wrong way, but you're now going. Here we go. All right, league play, two games, three days. One at home, one on the road, one against a team that can challenge you, the other against the best team in the league. It's giddy up time. Syracuse has won eight of its last ten, seems to be building something here, adding pieces like Malik Brown. Like Momentum is a strange thing. It can halt if you fall back into old habits, but I think Syracuse is at a point where it can keep adding some things. We'll see if that continues against the Irish. 7 o'clock tip time tomorrow. reminder, we will not have pregame coverage for you tomorrow uh, due to a number of play-by-play events here on ESPN Syracuse. We will come back after this. Emily Liker set to join us in a few minutes. She spoke with Nick Monroe about why he left Syracuse to take a position at Minnesota. We will discuss that and more with her. Brian Drake and I will go over some of the fantasy and betting aspects of all the NFL playoff matchups this weekend. The pick six awaits and more. You stay right there. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on (laughs) QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. You know, again, that's a conversation that Dino you know, and I will have, and that's you know good question, Paulie, but that's one that we that we uh, will talk about in, in his office or my office if it comes to that. Uh, the only time in recorded history that someone said the words, good question, Paulie. But that was a good question from Paul Sibilia with a, a prior conversation there with uh, Syracuse uh, Athletic Director John Wildhack. I heard back in December about retaining assistant coaches. And, look, there's a lot of turnover in college sports, but an eyebrow or two has been raised in seeing Tony White go to Nebraska. Now Nick Monroe head out to Minnesota, and that's a big loss on the recruiting front. And, of course, the transfer portal is swinging both ways for Syracuse football and other recruiting day approaches. There's actually a lot on the, on the football table to discuss. So when we do that, we turn to our friend and colleague, And fellow star wars nerd ladies and gentlemen the great emily liker is back on the block emily how you doing good how are you brent i am great good to hear your voice and uh you had a chance today to sit down with the swag daddy first of all was it like to just be in the the mere presence of of the swag daddy today and what were your impressions of that conversation and emily's story by the way is up at syracuse.com so go read it but what were your takeaways uh, from your conversation today
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, um, Nick seems like a really genuine guy. That was the only time I've ever talked to him in person and probably will be for the foreseeable future, if not ever, considering um, the rule that Dino has around assistance. So I'd never talked to him in season. He was gracious enough to meet in person and talk today about his departure. And I think the big takeaway, I mean, yesterday, of course, when this news comes out, everyone online, doom scrolling on Twitter is like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, it's rat fleeing!" thinking, shit, there's, there's all this stuff going on. There must be something that needs to be dug up from inside the program. And and this is the second exit interview I've done. I, I talked with Tony White when he left back in December, and now I've talked with Monroe. And I just don't get the sense from either of these guys that that's the case. I think these were both personal development moves. Um, Monroe has incredibly strong ties to Minnesota. He grew up there. His family remains there. He knows Joe Rossi, who's the current uh, defensive coordinator. He's known him pretty much his whole career. So there's ties there. He wanted to be in a defensive coordinator role, which we knew. I had asked him about that last month. The one other time I got to talk to him, which was ahead of the Pinstripe Bowl, I had asked if he was interested in being a defensive coordinator full-time, and he said absolutely. That wasn't going to be an option at SU, as we know, because Rocky Long was just hired last month. Who knows how long Rocky will be here? We don't have any of his contract details. And so this move for for Nick, I, I don't think it has anything to do with Dino, I don't think it has anything to do with the program. I, I think it just has to do with taking another opportunity to advance his careers, which a lot of us look to for in our, in our careers. Like it, it's just like any other job switch, except it's incredibly under a microscope, is what I will say. It was interesting. He admitted in, in your story
1: today that, you know, that co-defensive coordinator title certainly piqued his interest. And like you said, this, this hit home it's Minnesota. It was the right job. He's not just taking a job. And, like, he has been with Dino for almost 10 years, and certainly his reputation has mm-hmm. built and built up here. But how much did he say, and what were your impressions of essentially getting uh, an upgrade in position? He's the co-defensive coordinator, but, you know, that's better than not defensive coordinator at all. What was, uh, what was the, your impression there?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because the role is, like, it's not quite a lateral move, it's more than that, but it's not like a full on promotion. Like he's still gonna be coaching a specific position. He's not going to be a play caller um, that we know of in any sense. I mean, he told me today, he was like, Rossi will still be calling the defensive plays. Here he was the safeties coach and the defensive passing game coordinator. So like, it's kind of interesting to look at the two titles and okay, how, how different are they? I think until we see See what he's doing a little bit at Minnesota it will be hard to tell but um, I mean in terms of if here there was any chance for him to go into like a co-defensive coordinator role I mean I asked um, if he was interested in the defensive coordinator job here I, I put it in the article he declined to answer that I think that tells us almost just as much as if he had in my opinion mm-hmm. um, had answered the question so I don't know it, it's interesting I think he had been here for a long time and at kind of his age um, and just kind of looking at coaching transitions and stuff. I, I think it, make, it makes sense for him to move on if he didn't feel he was going to get more responsibility or a bigger role here going into this next season.
1: Emily, the recruiting aspect of this is where it really hurts Syracuse. I mean, the swag daddy, the tweets, uh, just the, the connections he built, the players he brought in. He was big in the state of Florida. Like This is a big, big hole that Dino Babers has to fill here. What's his next step in, in replacing a very important recruiting cog in the machine?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Monroe has been responsible for so many of the incredibly talented defensive prospects that Syracuse has had in the past couple of years. Especially, I mean, you could look at guys like Andre Cisco, Garrett Williams, Deuce Chestnut, who obviously has left now, but still, um, I, I don't know exactly who you turn to on this staff um, again, just because we don't get to talk to very many of the assistants any of them at all. Um, And so it's hard to kind of gauge personality-wise, like, okay, who could step up? One thing I've noticed just kind of anecdotally in the past couple days is it looks like wide receivers coach uh, Michael Johnson has been out doing a lot of recruiting. I've seen a lot of recruits tagging him thanking him for the, his time. So I'll be curious to see if that kind of becomes a trend just from seeing him at practice and on the sidelines and stuff. He feels like he could be the coach to have that kind of personality and step in and fill that role that Monroe had. But it, it kind of has to, I think, shake out here a little bit in the off season.
1: Emily, I wrote a column earlier this week about, you know, Syracuse is now stuck in an interesting position where you're you are developing talent for better schools. Deuce Chestnut, you brought up to LSU, and Jihad Carter to Ohio State, and you know these these upper level Power Five schools are thanking Syracuse for finding these diamonds in the rough, so they know who to look for in the transfer portal. So you're you're kind of Stuck between a rock and a hard place there because you you certainly want to be good at that as a staff, but you don't want to be too good at it where you're putting these players on that radar. What's been your impression of the the transfer portal swinging uh, both ways for Syracuse? It seems.
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. I'm actually kind of doing some some digging into the portal right now and looking at trends and stuff um, in the incredibly short transfer portal era. Like the transfer portal started in 2018, which feels insane to even think about was only five years ago now Um, not even because it was October 2018 like this we are still very much in the infancy of the transfer portal era and I think everyone is just learning so much about it Every, every single second coaches are learning new things players are learning new things everything is constantly changing I think the resounding thing I am learning in my research, and I, I obviously don't want to give too much away because this will be a piece on Syracuse.com next week, but is that Syracuse isn't really in a worse-off place than any other school in the ACC? They are incredibly on par with the number of players that are exiting other programs in the conference, and either and even in other conferences, Power Five conferences. Um, I haven't gotten too much yet into like looking how many. Play, how many, looking at how many players schools are picking up, but in terms of the outflux of players, there's there's not too much to worry about. At least not this year. Um, I think 2020 and 2021 had incredibly high um, transfer rates, and yes, the number is high again this year, but it's not as high as it was in those two years. And so, I'll, I'll have more on this all all next week online. But I, I don't think Syracuse fans need to be quite so chicken littling about the whole a good transfer way to put portal it. scenario if that makes
1: sense that's a, where i where i think they have somewhat of a a chicken littling i'll put it this way is it's it's the quality <laughs> of the players not the quantity right so if you if, yeah. if your issue is how many guys are going syracuse is actually you know I, what is it florida uh, who is i looking at florida lost like 17 players and some Programs have lost over 20 guys. And so it depends on, you know, what you're more concerned about. I'm more concerned about the quality of players that are going into the portal and and how you replace them. So I'll be curious to read that piece next week. and looking forward to it. And Emily, I did a poll on Twitter yesterday, uh, for what it's worth, uh, for, you know, my little uh, slice of uh, the, the cyber world here. And the poll was, okay, if you had to pick one, would you rather Dino Babers would be better at the portal or recruiting? And 68% of people that voted in that poll said the portal. And I think, you know, look, the portal hasn't become more important than recruiting, but that gap's closer than it used to be, right? you got another recruiting day coming up in a few weeks, and it's almost a moot point now because the portal seems to be where the priorities are for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I, I think the appeal of going to the portal as opposed to getting more high school recruits is that portal guys are... More likely to be able, more likely to be guys that you're able to put in right away. They have college experience. The glitz and glam has hopefully worn off, and they've evened out a little bit. Um, and so, and that's something that Dino Babers always talks about: is these are guys that can come in that have experience. We haven't seen that totally reflect in who Syracuse has picked up from the portal yet. I mean, they have two linemen, um, Joe Moore and Braylon Ingram, who are. Older, but then other than that, it's pretty much all like redshirt freshmen, um, redshirt sophomores, younger guys who weren't getting playing time. Um, so while they have college experience and the the they've been at practice, they've been on campus, they've been suited up on the sideline at games, they don't necessarily have on field experience. So I think that's a little interesting. But in I think the general idea of going after the transfer transfer portal heavier than high school recruiting does make sense. And I think if you can hit on getting like anywhere from like, I guess it depends on how many players you need, but like four to six pickups of good experienced players, they don't need to be five stars. You probably want some of them to be four stars though. That's where you kind of hit that sweet spot in in the portal. I think. Emily, some final thoughts
1: on Lenora Sellers committing to South Carolina over Syracuse. I I was about to say something like, what are the lessons from that? But I don't even know if there are. Like, Jason Beck was in on him early. stuck with him through his injury and was, you know, ride or die with this guy. And then South Carolina basically got shamed into recruiting him. They swoop in. They get him. And, you know, look, he made a decision, and he's an 18-year-old kid trying to figure out what to do with his life. And if he wants to stay home, he has every – Prerogative to do that, and I don't blame them for it. But if we're, it, it falls in the line of what we're talking about here between the portal and recruiting. Like, is there even another quarterback they're targeting for February and signing day? Or is it more up the portal? Is it more, you know, maybe the South Mississippi quarterback they're bringing in? Have they kind of moved on from recruiting another quarterback this cycle?
2: Yeah, I haven't seen anything pop up, any high schoolers um, that play quarterback that are being recruited. There is the one transfer, I think, too. I mean, as of right now, Syracuse is still in an okay place at that position for next year. I mean, you have Garrett Schrader starting pretty solid. He had a good year this year, obviously. I think hopefully he'll be 100% healthy all season next year, which wasn't the case this year, but you never know. You have him. You have Carlos Del Rio Wilson, which I know some people – were not impressed with his level of play. He was a redshirt freshman. He had never played real minutes before, and he got like thrown in at the last second to six straight quarters of football. I think he did well enough, and I think another season under Beck's guidance and getting more experience and melding with the team a little bit more will help him. I I don't think he's some guy that should be sidelined and that people will forget about. And then you're also bringing back Justin Lamson, who I haven't really had the chance to see yet, so I don't have... A ton of commentary on him but from what i've heard and what i've read about him was a pretty solid um quarterback prospect in the spring game last year until his injury and so he should be coming back um he's been i believe he was mostly healthy throughout the season actually but they just kind of decided to extend his rehab process since they didn't think they were going to need him um so i mean you have three strong guys there you also have Jacobian and morgan who is a scholarship qb and then you have luke mcphail who's a walk on but there's like enough depth there i don't think it's the end of the world if they don't get a quarterback either from the portal or from the high school ranks this season but then if they don't it becomes high priority for the 2024 class and the 2024 cycle
1: Emily, thank you so much. Appreciate the insight. Uh, we'll spare the people a Bad Batch review, but uh, let's just say thumbs up from both Emily and I on Episode 3, one of the better of the series. So uh, there you go, Star Wars fans, a little nugget for you. But uh, have yourself a great weekend. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to that Transfer Portal article next week. But uh, appreciate your time and your insight, as always. Of course. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thanks, Emily. That's Emily Liker, folks. Like. Emily on social media, right? Go follow Emily on Twitter and follow all the latest. Her exit interview with Nick Monroe is up today on Syracuse.com. Make sure you read that. We will break, come back and uh different conversation coming your way. But still on the football front, Brian Drake and I going over the fantasy and betting implications of all the playoff games. And then Ash. Football league. Stay right there.